You're listening to Let's Talk About Fatherlessness with host Sean Tice, where we talk about leading fatherless families to the Heavenly Father. Hey, welcome back to Let's Talk About Fatherlessness. I'm Sean Tice. Excited to have my guest today, Pastor Jason Brown. Excited to have you with us. Yeah, glad to be here, brother. Do you just tell us about yourself? You're obviously a, you're a pastor, pastor in California, Victory Baptist Church, El Cajon, right? That's how you say it, El Cajon. Um, it's, El Cajon. It's a J. But how, tell us more about your ministry and about yourself. Yeah, so I pastor Victory Baptist Church. My wife and I uh, started the church, uh, planted the church uh, 13 years ago, and um, we've been married uh for 20, I think 21 years. <laughs> and uh, it's just been a dream come true. And we have two kids, Nolan, our son is uh, in college at Baylor. And he is 18, about to be 19. Our daughter, Taylin is 16. And um, we are just in love with Jesus in love with the church in love with soul winning and missions. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's us here in San Diego. And and just preaching the gospel. It's been, it's been great. You know, a lot of times people think that, uh, you know, being a pastor is boring. Ministry is boring. Christianity is sometimes boring, but they follow you on social media. They know you're not boring, man. You get, you're all over there. You're, you're surfing, you're up snowboarding, big bear, wherever you go. You're, I mean, you're doing all kinds of stuff. I remember during COVID you're preaching in the back of your truck in the home Depot parking lot. I don't ever forget that, <laughs> that video. I mean, your energy is what I, just I, inspires me. And I just, I, I appreciate that. Um, now, would you tell us, just spend some time, I know you have a story of fatherlessness, but you just take some time to tell us more about that, if you don't mind. Well, I, I grew up in a broken home. My, um, my mom and dad, they had five kids together and my mom had seven kids total. And my dad went to jail when I was, I think, eight, nine years old. And, um, I was angry, upset, got violent, and um, and so I uh, really struggled. And when my dad got out of jail, my mom packed my bags and said, "You go live with him." And so my my story was more of like how to overcome anger, bitterness, and strife, and uh, you know, drugs and alcohol, and just kind of that whole like abusive environment. My dad did everything he could to try to make up for, um, his mistakes, his errors, his sins, if you would. And, uh, and so I ended up living with him from 10 years old till I was 18. And, uh, and I got saved when I was 15, a friend of mine took me to a Bible study and heard about Christ and started, uh, going to church from there and, uh, learning, learning about the Lord and in and out of church for a little while. And, uh, I do have one memory of, like the church really blessing us when, um, when we were little, we didn't have any money and it was, um, Christmas time and they brought us Christmas gifts mm -hmm. and I'll never forget that, what that did to my heart. And so now, um, we go out on Christmas and, and try to find people that need the love of Jesus. And if they don't have Christmas gifts, whatever it is, man, we're going to try to reach out to them the help the widows help the fatherless and just really help be a blessing and shine that light just because it impacted us impacted me in a great way so um yeah that's that's some of my story there and and i'm just passionate about uh sharing the love of the lord 
Wow. And so your mom at 10 years old, she sent you over to your dad. Did you have any resentment towards your mom about that? Was that? No, no. I, cause I kind of blamed her for, um, for what he did. I was so young. I didn't understand. And so all I knew is my dad was gone and I wanted him back. And, uh, and so I really abused my mom and my sisters, uh, physically and, um, um, verbally. And so when he finally got out of jail, she just packed my stuff and said, go. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I live with him and, and it, it really took me a long time to learn, um, how to forgive her and how to forgive him, how to forgive myself. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was, that was very painful. It was a very painful uh, time in my life, but it's really made me more aware of how to minister to broken homes, broken families and um, hurting, hurting children and hurting people. Yeah. And that, now you speak about anger. Um, how, how did you, I know you forgave yourself, but where did the where did it start where you started realizing, Hey, I got an anger issue. Cause I know a lot of fatherless guys deal with that. I had that growing up. How did you work through it yourself? Yeah. I think the anger was more of like a chip on my, I I developed a chip like me against the world mentality. And um, I could just do it myself and, and nobody cares about me. So I'm just going to do it myself. And it was a way to isolate and defend and, and, you know, protect and have self-preservation and, and I think what helped me was obviously getting saved and coming, getting forgiveness from Christ when I was 15. And also what helped me was channeling that anger into a sport. And I highly suggest sports to, uh, to everybody, but specifically children, because it gives an outlet of a place for their emotions to, uh, be worked out in a good way, especially if you're kind of bottled up. And so I played baseball and then I wrestled and, and, uh, that really helped me. And, uh, and so, um, and then I'd say later in life, I learned how to pray through it, you know, when I was 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, I learned how to develop, you know, emotional intelligence and process through the filter of the Lord and bringing my request to him. So, and, and even now I still have to be careful with, uh, my anger. Like I, it's one of my things I know that I'm kind of, I can be quick to, to fly off the handle. And so because of that awareness, and I don't want to hurt anybody just because I, I was hurt. So I will uh, take a lot longer whenever I'm feeling those emotions to go rehearse it before the Lord and, and process it with him until I'm at a place of peace and understanding. And then I'll, I'll step into dealing with situations. And that's that's so good because I think so many people they struggle with that with the anger uh, with fatherlessness. Now speak more about the forgiving yourself. Uh, I think there's so many people that need to forgive themselves. Can you tell us more about that process for you, how it worked with you? Yeah, I think um, it was both a decision and a process. You know, of of receiving God's forgiveness and and um, and then. Uh, realizing like, okay, if he forgave me, I need to forgive myself. And if he's omnipresent, uh, meaning he knows he's, he's everywhere at once, past, present, future. He knows everything that I was going to do. He knew it was going to happen. And so I, I don't carry shame anymore. Like I don't carry it at all because of the omnipresence of God and, and forgiveness is, 
essential to living a healthy life. And so um, I every day make sure I'm checking my heart to make sure that I'm forgiving everybody and that I'm blessing um, blessing people. And I had to cognitively reframe how I viewed my mom, how I viewed my dad, um, because I put them in a category of, you know, they did this to me. So I was blaming them and shaming them. But in reality, I was the one suffering because I wasn't forgiving them and, and I wasn't forgiving myself, you know? And so I kind of went through this thing. And so I had to, I had to dig all those past memories up and be like, no, we're going to rebury these things in a right way. I'm no longer going to blame them. I'm not going to blame myself for the fights that I got into and for all this stuff. I'm going to make peace with it. And I'm going to thank God for the time my dad went to prison, the time that my mom was um, struggling in alcoholism and the time the cops came in and all those fights, because I learned what not to do and how to process better. And, and so I learned to um, take prayer and go back, dig up some things and then bring forgiveness to those situations because they make me better today. And rather than getting bitter through it, I'm, I'm better. I'm a better man. I'm a better Christian. I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, because I know what not to do. And as long as I was holding bitterness towards myself or others, I wasn't going to get better. So I, after digging it up and, and burying it in Christ and in forgiveness and appreciating um, that rough childhood, I feel like I'm actually at a huge advantage over a lot of people that they just can't understand if they grew up in a a family that was, you know, going to church all the time and had prayer altar and all these all these blessings that we strive for as Christians. Um, I'm able to reach into families and situations and people and relate just like this uh, because I feel their pain. I know it, and I I can show them how to go from bitterness to being better and from, you know, ignorance of the situation to full of awareness and peace and forgiveness and actually loving those who despitefully, you know, hurt them in, in a hard way. That That's, that's so good. Now, going back to 10 years old, your dad gets out of prison, reunification. What was that like? And, and what was it like over the years? Did you guys instantly hit it off? Um, how did that go? Yeah, I think my dad was carrying a lot of guilt and shame. And my dad, he still, um, he, like he didn't go to church. He was always, he always had weed, marijuana on the counter. And um, he basically gave me five, 10 bucks a day and said, hey, go feed yourself. So I was riding the bus, you know, around the city and I'd get into all kinds of problems just because no parental guidance. Um, but my dad, he because of his compromising position, he didn't know how to correct me. He was afraid he would go back to jail if he did the wrong thing. And I think I kind of exploited that and used that as a manipulation tool um, and held that over him. And it was really not a, not a good thing, but it was one of those things that my dad just, in order to try to make up for what he did, he would just kind of like, you know, give me things and let me have a, a bunch of liberty. And I had to learn the hard way. And he he always offered me like love and forgiveness. Uh, he just wasn't a very 
very good at guidance and um, correction and things like that because of where he was at. And then as he got older in life and I got older, I learned to, you know, appreciate the dad that I, that, that I had for those moments. And, um, and so, yeah, yeah, it took, it took some time, but, um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. No, is he, is he still alive? You guys have relationships now? Or? No, no. My dad passed away. Uh, I want to say it was maybe 10 years ago, something like that. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. What was that like? Was and, that a hard time? Did you, did you struggle with that when he passed away? Yeah, I mean, you I, know. I mean, obviously, as a dad, you should. But I'm saying because he wasn't there for some of the years, was it even harder that way? Or yeah, you know, my dad in his later years, um, he like because of what my dad did to our family, like he really destroyed our family with what he did to my sisters. And so when when I got married and had children. My dad, like we were always somewhat, we forgave, but you really, there was not a lot of trust there, if that makes sense. I understand. And, and so I would go and visit my dad um, and, you know, just try to minister to him and love on him. And he, he would receive it, you know, he would receive it and he made peace. We made peace. And of course your parents are your parents and your dad's your dad. So you love him, even the good, the bad, and the ugly, whether they're a good, holy dad, or if they're an evil father. And I would say my dad was kind of a blend in, in different ways, you know, in that he did a lot of really horrendous evil things, but he, you know, he tried to make up for it, do the best he could. And, and so when he passed away, I, yeah, I was heartbroken, you know, absolutely heartbroken. And, uh, um, you know, I remember speaking at his funeral and that was probably one of the hardest things I ever did was, um, to speak about, you know, my dad and, and, and give a real picture of who he was and what he did and, and without like airing, airing out all the dirty laundry, um, you know, being honest, like with infractions, with discretion, and at the same time, kind of pointing to um, some of the the good things that we were able to glean from him and in, in that situation. And and so it was very, very challenging. And even nowadays, like I'll still have tears, like thinking about him and like, I can't walk into a bowling alley without um, like hearing his voice and remembering his mannerisms and, uh, and so, you know, as you get older, your, your mind, if you choose to, your mind will remember some of the, the good things and can take some comfort in that. And I firmly believe my dad's in heaven now. I'm so thankful God forgives everybody. And no matter the infraction and the sin, you know, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And so I firmly believe he had a profession of faith in Christ. And and I think I'll see him again. I really do. Yeah, that's good. And and so you you are a successful individual. If anybody follows you on social media, they can see that you're, you know, you're involved in social in the involved in real estate, you're a pastor, you're, you know, coaching people, you're your fitness guy. You're, you're happily married. You have children. What, what was the shift from, I'm not, I don't want to be like mm. my family breaking the cycle, 15 years old. Cause there's so many that they, they get involved in church, but they still end up going down the same path as their family. What was the shift for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it was, I had an adopted dad in some ways and 
I always tell kids that maybe don't have a dad at home or don't have a great upbringing. You got to latch onto somebody that's really good and healthy and is a great role model example. For me, the guy that led me to Christ when I was 15, um, he was like my, my spiritual dad and that he led me to Christ. And this was a man that had been married and divorced several times, three, four times, but later in life, he figured it out. He gave his life to Christ and became really successful. He was a soul winner. He was a businessman, gave millions of dollars to missions. And, and he told me this when I was 18 years old, he said, listen, if you will stay in church, come to church, I will teach you how to be a soul winner and I'll teach you how to make money. And at that time I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that because I was doing construction and I was looking at these guys that were all on drugs and I watched them. They're 40, 50 years old and their backs are all broken. I was like, man, I don't want to end up like that. I want to end up like my dad, my, my physical dad, you know, uh, with drugs and all this other stuff. And so I latched onto him and he welcomed me in and taught me soul winning. I just showed up, man. I latched on and he, you know, he, he, showed me how to dress. I remember my first time, uh, in the real estate office, I, you know, didn't know how to dress professionally. And he was kind enough to take me to, uh, the department store and buy me some clothes and get me shoes and like professional clothes. And he goes, you have to dress for success. And, uh, I remember getting penny loafers. He's all, he was the old school. Like you had to have a penny in the, in the shoe, you know? And he goes, now you got to keep these shining and looking good. And, and, uh, because of him and his faithfulness to the Lord, to church and to, um, you know, to business and people, uh, I learned how to love people and how to give you know, abundantly and how to win souls and how to make a bunch of money and give it away and, and how to, how to have this work life church relationship balance, because he would, he would have fun, man. He would be out golfing and, and driving a, you know, seven series BMW and then over, you know, in the ghetto ministering to, you know, hurting down and out people. And so for me, that was my picture of success of a, of a successful Christian. And so because I walked with him on a consistent basis and latched on to him, uh, I really feel like I received, um, you know, the benefit almost like of an adoption without it being an adoption, if that makes sense, where it's like he spiritually just loved on me and I latched on. It changed my life. That's so good. I, I love hearing that. I had the same thing. I had a mentor that was like that. I remember the day that he went to my mom and said, Hey, we want to buy Sean some suits and, you know, try to, um, would you mind if we do that? And I was like, yeah, and there was a store called the young men's shop. He took me to and bought me suits and him and his wife and, and just t- changed my life. They introduced me. They took me to the country club. Uh, I didn't even know we had a country club in our town. I don't think that <laughs> there, like I had no idea what I was doing, but it was just, it was an experience that I had and not everybody gets to have that with a wealthy person, but we all can learn from different people that God brings into our life. And I see now how that's helped me learn about business and things like that later on in life. And now I can you know, be successful and do different things myself. So the things you're saying totally resonate with me. Now, where did the church part start where you're like, Hey, I want to start a church. how did that come from that? Yeah. So um, the guy that led me to Christ, his name was David Entrican, and he was going to um, uh, Lighthouse Baptist Church, and the pastor there was Doug Fisher. And so when I started going to church with him when I was 18, 19 years old, uh, he was at Lighthouse, and so I started hearing Pastor Fisher preach. 
And I would say Pastor Fisher was like my next level mentor because that really like sculpted and shaped my fervency and fire because I saw that and I needed that structure um, in the, in the, in the church and in the spiritual world, I had it in the business and I had it in a good family, like as far as seeing David's side. But when I saw Doug Fisher, I was like, man, this guy is like bringing the heat Marine recon. And so that just lit a flame inside of me. And I, God called me to preach, you know, a few years being in that church. And for, I would like, as soon as God called me to preach, I was like, let's go plant a church. You know, I'm not a guy that wait around, like, let's go. And Pastor Fisher's like, well, hold on, you need to get a little bit more training. So I, I did a three-year, three-year Bible Institute program. And during that time, I was doing business and I was traveling the world preaching. Like I asked him if I could go with him, he'd say, yeah, or there would be a meeting somewhere, a missionary would need something. And I wasn't lacking for resources. I wasn't waiting on somebody to give me something. I was somebody that like, no, I I can go. I got the resources. I'll go be a blessing. And at the same time, I'll get my training. And what happened was when I was like 27, 28 years old, I knew I was called to preach and I was on the other side of the world preaching and I'd have, uh, I had a wife and two kids, little kids. And God just started convicting my heart. Like, Hey, you're out on the other side of the world. Who's raising your kids? Cause mm-hmm. I kept saying yes to meetings, yes to meetings, yes to meetings. And through that, I said, okay, I'm going to stop traveling so much and trying to help everybody else in the world and really pour into my kids and my family. Well, through that process, God like burdened my heart, like, hey, you can raise your family and love your kids and do ministry and just stay a little bit more centered and local. And through that process, uh, I felt like God was putting on my heart to plant a church. And so that's what we did. We stayed local, planted a church, raised our family, and uh, and it's been wonderful. Now, you, your church has, you know, you like you said, you focus on um, reaching broken families, fatherless families. Uh, tell us some of the things you guys have done. I know you had a single mom group. You you buy gifts for kids at Christmas. Is there anything else, or, or you want to expound on those more? Yeah, I think like obviously every church has broken families and broken people and hurting people, and and we just try to target the little kids within our ministry, you know and love on them and encourage them and pour into them and, and, uh, and see, see a need and, and try to fill it the best we can. And it could be simple things. Like I had, um, I had one of the boys over the other day, his mom, single mom had texted me, Hey, he's struggling. And he's, I think 15 now. And so I just messaged him, how you doing buddy? And, and, uh, and I was gonna, um, watch the Padre game that afternoon. I said, Hey, you want me to pick you up? You want to come over and hang out? And we'll watch the Padre game together. And then afterwards, we have a a men's Bible study. If you want, you come to that with me. And so I picked him up from school and he came over and he ate everything all in the refrigerator. I said, it's all yours, man. Just whatever you want. So he's sitting there feasting on all the food and I'm enjoying it. You know, he's enjoying it. And uh, we grabbed the scooters and I said, you want to go take a ride Uh, over here next to our house? There's um, turkeys. We live in a country, a little bit of a country area in San Diego. And I, so we get over and we ride these scooters, you know, down the hill and these, these turkeys are massive, you know, and they're kind of like, 
cruising around. I said, look at that. And he's like taking it in and just loving it. And so we're cruising around and, and afterwards I take him into my gym. We work out a little bit and finish watching the Padre game. And, and I just said, you want, you want to go to the men's Bible study now, you know? And, and he's like, yeah, I want to go. So, you know, he comes over to that. We fellowship, he feels loved and encouraged. And then afterwards, uh, it was probably like eight 30 at night. I said, you want to get some ice cream? Let's get some ice cream, you know? And so, um, no, no agenda here, just love. Yeah. Right. And so I get him like the biggest banana split possible, you know? And, uh, and I got a little banana split, you know, cause I didn't want all that sugar, but, uh, I felt like he'd loving it. He'd love it. And he's like, man, well, why, why, why are you doing all this? I, and I was just like, because I love you. Like you're important. You matter. We, I want you to be encouraged. And, um, and so I dropped him off and he was just so happy. And, and I know that meant a lot to him and I know it meant a lot to his mom. And, and I'm thankful that his mom had enough sense and sensitivity, um, to blow the trumpet, send a little message about, you know, that he needed that because you know how it is when you're raising your own family and you're pastoring a church or you're doing ministry and business, it's hard to see all the needs, but it's nice when you have some people that are like, you know, say, you know, reaching out a little bit on both ways, because then we can, you know, minister and be a blessing and make a difference together. And so Evan is his name and he was just so excited and blessed. I love that story because sometimes we overcomplicate it, whereas we have to form a program and we have to, you know, do all this stuff. It's like, just invite them into your life, you know, and, you know, obviously make it safe for you and for them, but just inviting them to, like, you're watching the Padres game. Hey, come watch the Padres game with me. That's that's mentoring. That is changing somebody's life. And you you taking what you've learned um, from your, your 15 years old on, and you're pouring that into other people. And I think that's um, such an incredible story and that how you're willing to in, invest in them. Now, I have a strange question for you. Growing up fatherless, do you ever feel um, like an imposter syndrome? ever have that where you feel like you know being in the ministry you didn't grow up in ministry so do you ever feel like that you ever have that have that feeling of you know maybe i don't belong in this or you do have you ever had that i know some people go through that no i never had that that's a random question because you know sometimes where you're like hey i grew up and i grew up in a father's home i didn't grow up in the ministry i was wondering if you ever experienced that or not so no no i i i think i feel like so loved and blessed by God yeah. that, and I feel like I have such an advantage with what the way God has like raised me. Like I never feel like I didn't get what I was supposed to. I felt like God made up more than made up for anything missing. And so if anything, I feel lucky, blessed and super advantaged um, over my situation and plight in life. And I just, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. How do you keep, how do you keep the energy going? I mean, cause I, you know, we see your energy. How do you, you know, and I, I, I do this, I, I run, do a bunch of different things. How do you keep the energy going with, I'm, I'm running a business. Um, I'm doing church, you know, how do you, how do you keep it going with, um, even God? Like, cause I'm sure there's times where you're like, you know, just running on fumes. How do you, how do you feel back up and keep things going? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I think for me, I, um, I definitely keep my Bible reading plan, you know, first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is get my coffee and read my Bible and spend, you know, an hour or two 
just enjoying, enjoying Jesus. Um, I write my goals out each day. I think about what God's put on my heart and I work out like, like all the time. (laughs) And there's people that think that working out takes away your energy. But for me, like, I feel like it gives me energy. It gives me more energy. It gives me more power. It releases all the stress. Um, I eat good. I invest money into, you know, my diet and my exercise. There's people like, well, that costs 15, 25 bucks to go to the gym or cost this for, um, this food or whatever it is. And I'm not gonna like chintz out on the things that are going to give me the most amount of energy for my health and well-being. And so I invest into that stuff and I see a huge return on it. And uh, another thing I do is um, I take naps. So I love taking afternoon naps. Uh, it, it could be 30 minutes, could be 45 minutes, could be an hour. And it just resets my whole clock. And so I feel like I get a whole nother day and, you know, hit it hard from there on. And uh, those are those are the basics for me, you know, scripture, prayer, um, exercise, eating well and uh, and uh, and rest. You know, it's really simple, uh, but that that really makes a huge difference for me. How do you balance everything? I mean, how do you make sure that you're connected as a dad, connected as a husband, pastoring, running the business? How do you how do you what's your secrets to connect? keeping things going yeah i for balancing it all yeah i don't know that i do balance it well i think i just focus on one thing at a time and everything else is out of balance for the moment um but i i try to keep it all before the lord rehearse it before him and with my goals like living intentionally like i'll ask continue to put it before before god you know the things that are on my heart for the family and for the business and for the church and and as long as I'm keeping that before him, I feel like I when I lift it before him and and I'm keeping it, casting my cares, then throughout the day, my awareness is heightened. And when I feel like a nudge from the spirit, I I'll be a lot more sensitive to redirect um to to maintain that balance for whether it's a date night or taking my wife um shopping or you know, spending some time with my daughter you know, texting uh, and and talking with my son, or, you know, if I have a certain goal for business, like, okay, I'm keeping it before the go for the Lord. And then when a message or like something comes up where somebody is, you know, wanting to do a deal, a real estate deal or whatever, like I kind of, I'm looking with expectation that God is answering those prayer requests. And so as soon as that starts coming through, I'm like, Lord, is that you answering? You know, because I've been asking, seeking and knocking. And so I kind of just live my life with great um, anticipation and expectation that good things are supposed to happen to me because I'm walking with the Lord. And, uh, and so that's how I'm able to kind of keep balance in my life and keep things moving in a positive direction. That's awesome. And I love that. Um, now you grew up, you, your church is in the town you grew up in. Um, it is, our church is in El Cajon and I grew up, yeah. East County, San Diego, El Cajon, Lakeside area, kind of moved around a little bit. Now, just speaking to the people that are listening to this, that have a past and they, they're in their same hometown, um, people, how do you, have you had any struggles with that where you're like, Hey, I really, 
did some stupid things when I was a kid, which I, I have things like that too. And I'm ministering in the same town. Anything like that where you, you know, any advice for people or anything you struggle uh, with with that? I, I think just humility. Like you have to eat a lot of like humble pie, you know, because I have people all the time where they'll they'll find out I'm a pastor and they'll be like, what, him, who? No way. And uh, they'll <laughs> laugh. And then, you know, I go door to door, soul winning, door knocking. And uh, and so there's things I've did at houses when I was young that were shameful and horrendous. And so many times the Holy Spirit will remind me, hey, do you remember this? And I'll think, well, what if I'm going to see that person or the family? And the I feel like the Holy Spirit's like, well, you, you're different now. You just humble down and you ask for forgiveness and just be ready to do that. And so there's been several times, um, you know, approaching a door, approaching people where I will confess and ask for forgiveness and then give my story. And uh, and so as long as we're humble and we're pointing people to Jesus, uh, it really gives him, the Lord, an opportunity to use what he's done in our life to uh, bless other people. So I embrace it. And humility is the way to do that. That's so good. We only have a few minutes left. Um, as we wrap up, I want to ask you just a question for pastors. You're, you're a pastor. You have a heart for the fatherless. What's some steps that pastors can take to be more intentional about fatherless families, single moms? Just some practical advice that you can give. Yeah, I think just making a list, something as simple as that, making a list and, you know, um, praying over those that are singles and widows and fatherless. And, um, and then, and then the next step would be to, if you have some good men in your church, good families in your church, look to minister to them and adopt them, whether it's camp time, you know, Hey, these are some of the people that we could bless for, you know, summer camps. Let's be mindful of that. Do you have any work that you can help teach these young and some work ethic? Um, same thing with Christmas time. Hey, we should adopt these families and give other families in the church opportunity to, to knit in and to connect into them. And uh, just something simple like that, a list and then connecting godly people to them, I think makes a huge, huge difference. And then another thing is with some of these single moms, because they they're striving to provide ends meet for their kids. Um if you have good godly men in your church and business women in your church providing employment and creating flexibility with their work hours we have we have a lot of people in our church that we are employing and working together and and making sure that those single moms or even single dads can take care of um, their family financially and then having other people in the church pick their kids up from school or running them to sports or going to a small group. And it's really um, helping the whole church family knit together to make sure that these, these kids and these, these single moms and these widows are successful and being built up through the local New Testament church. So those are some of the ways I would definitely suggest um, because they work for us. It's so great. Jason, you're crushing it. Um, admire you. So thankful for all that you do. Uh, can you, as we wrap up, can you share where we can find you? Um, social media, websites, any, any other resources you have? Yeah. Um, our church website is greatvictory.org, greatvictory.org. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Jason Brown, Jason L. Brown. 
And uh, my email is pastor at greatvictory.org. Anything I can do, I'm happy to serve and be a blessing. Jason, thanks so much for being on with us today. We really appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you for your ministry. You're doing a great job. We sure appreciate you too. To learn more about how you can get involved in fatherless family ministry, visit lifefactors.org where you can find some free resources. You can find our books that we have. You can find some, even the program that we have to help you start a single mom ministry within your ministry or within your church. We can all work together to lead fatherless families to the Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm.